need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, live from the podcast cage, it's Andy Greenwald! You know, you got me the one, there's not much room for other people in here. <laughs> like for guests. I thought you could at least get me one for Manzoukas to share with me. Uh, Andy, it is Monday in America. We have a stock show today. We're going to talk a little news at the top. We've got some stuff about Mindhunter. Thank you to everybody mentioning me on Twitter in association with a show about serial killers. We've also got some Marvel news. And we're going to be discussing the Borat sequel and the first episode of HBO's The Undoing. We will get to all of that after a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. One thing you don't have to worry about cleaning up this spring season, your wireless bill. Just switch to Mint Mobile. It's easy. And right now, they have unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. For first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by Walmart Plus. With a Walmart Plus membership, you save on everything you need to stay entertained. A Paramount Plus subscription is included to watch all your favorite shows. Plus, there's free delivery and even gas discounts. So when you're done streaming, you can hit the town and find entertainment in the real world, too. Save on all this, plus much more with Walmart Plus. Start a free 30-day trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus essential plan only. Separate registration required. $35 order minimum. See walmart.com slash plus for details. All right, man. What's up? How are you? How was your weekend? Are you sure they were mentioning you? Because there's there are a couple other Chris Ryans. There's the British thriller writer. Yeah, and then there's a golf not... instructor. There's a golf it's... instructor and a British, like, it's basically the British Tom Clancy is also named Chris Ryan. Well, the, I... That is great because if you ever Google you or, like, The Ringer, uh-huh. that dude's weather-beaten Jack Reacher-ass face shows up. As God intended. With your name under it. Yeah. And, and, and the other, but the other thing is there's a guy and shouts to him who for a while, anytime anyone would tag, because yeah, I think this is the guy who has at Chris Ryan. Yeah. And he's just pure. like, the, he, is, he is like the normiest of norms. But, but what's normy about him, knowing nothing about his life, is that he swats down every mistake. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like Borat in the sequel with the frying pan. If anyone was just like, <laughs> Great episode of The Watch this week at Andy Grunold and at Chris Ryan. He'd be like, not me. Right. Not me. Um, I respect that. It's strange. Do you have anything in your life that you are so closely associated with that when there is news about it, people are like prayers up for Andy Greenwald or thinking of Andy Greenwald or waiting for your comment, Andy Greenwald? The way that people seem to be very... So for anybody who doesn't know, David Fincher gave a wonderful interview to New York Magazine uh, and to Mark Harris from New York Magazine, uh, about Mank, which is coming any week now. I believe maybe early December. I think it's going to get a quick... December. Um, yeah. And he did a Q&A with Mark Harris, and the subject of Mindhunter came up and essentially confirmed what many people had sort of been speculating already, which was that it is highly unlikely that the show is going to uh, come back, that it was expensive, underwatched probably for that price point. Mm. As we already knew, um, most, if not all, of the cast has been released from their contracts. And in this interview, Fincher kind of goes into more detail about 
the demands of the show, it being a 90 hour work week, having to essentially move to Pittsburgh for three years. So he just seemed to be kind of like, it's going to be, it's hard to imagine doing another season. Now, a Netflix spokesman did comment to Mark that perhaps in five years or something like that. And it seems like Netflix is very much in the David Fincher business. So if he ever mm-hmm. gets, gets the bug, I'm sure they would, they would be interested at least. And, and Mindhunter, strangely, does seem like a show that could come back in five years. Maybe not with the same cast, but there is like a world in which you could continue to tell the story about the themes of Mindhunter and set it whenever you wanted to set it. I would say, well, just quickly, you, the first question you asked was if there's anything in the world oh, yeah, right. associated Sorry. with me. Just, just, no, just say uh, the, the career peregrinations of the great Nick Pizzolatto, uh, people are very <laughs> curious always really? for my <laughs> take on them. Um, good, and, good or ill. Uh, I wish him nothing but the best. So to this Mindhunter thing, I'm, I'm glad we get to talk about it because, um, first of all, Mindhunter is just... It's just an exceptional show. It I is, saw you. You did a really good Twitter. You did a little Twitter thread. I did a good about tweet. that. I, I just want to let people know. I think a lot of people are waiting for some of my threads about a, a variety of topics. I'm saving those for next Tuesday night. I'm just going to do right. drop the threads. I'm going to do a series of non-election threads on Tuesday night. I want a. I want a lot of tweets from you that include the parenthetical one slash question mark. Like there, you're just going to keep going until you tap out. Um, Some thoughts so, on Radiohead. So I want to, I mean, I, I want to talk about Mindhunter because I just think it's exceptional. And, you know, I know we've talked about it in year-end pods and a little bit when the second season was on, but I was a little slow to catch up to it. And the thing that I was saying um, on Twitter was particularly in light of the conversation you and I have been having over the last few weeks about just prestige TV's vessel problem. Like things mm-hmm. are always being put into the wrong holes. The thing about Mindhunter is, yes, David Fincher directing it. I mean, Jesus Christ. Like, obviously, it's worthy of consideration on that alone. The performances by Holt McElhenney and, and Jonathan Groff and, and Anna Torv and all the guest actors on that show, and even the people we'd never heard of before that show, exceptional. One of the best production design shows I've ever mm-hmm. seen. Shouts to Pittsburgh, a really underrated city that in the production of Mindhunter doubled for the entire country. Yeah. All of that is great. But what I think is truly special about Mindhunter is that it was a TV show. Full stop. It was a show in which characters came together and grew and changed over time as they explored something. And there is no natural stopping place for it. Sure, you could end at season two or you could keep going um, as they investigate more crimes and the world gets bigger and the problems get bigger. And it's so strange that that feels like a throwback and not just a throwback, that it feels, or I guess I should say felt, like something particularly noteworthy because it was a quote-unquote traditional TV show that was being run by the very person who you would think would be the least likely to contribute his talents to something ongoing, which is what this story that leaked from New York Magazine is essentially about, right? Right. Um, Rarely do mega talents like David Fincher or, you know, close to mega talents in our opinion, like Jonathan Groff, sign on for something that could go on and on and on and on and on. Uh, More often than not, it's limited. And Mindhunter wouldn't work as a movie. It wouldn't work as a six-hour event series. And I do think, to your point, it could come back. But I also want to jump in and say, and this is what you were alluding to, of course, this is not a glow situation. I don't think Netflix canceled Mindhunter. It's not the same thing. No, mm-hmm. one, The rug did not get pulled out from anyone. Um, I believe there was some prep being done for potential season three. Uh, I think Mank caught Fincher's eye, uh, and he wanted to do that instead. And then 
post-pandemic realities have set in for everyone on all sides of it. And I think they decided because of the contract stuff to just say like, maybe we'll try again at another time. And then you get into the yeah. secondary run of things like, yeah, Netflix has pretty firmly come out as they are not in the, we need to sustain something because it's of high quality business. They are in the, we're going to get what we can get out of stuff to pack our library and then we're going to move on. They do not seem to be giving the kind of renewals that other networks traditionally have given to things that are good, just full stop. Like mm-hmm. the Americans would not have gotten six seasons on Netflix. Let's put it that way. No. And I, I think that the um, the interesting thing about Fincher's run on television has been what an, uh, an old pro he seems to be at it. You know, a lot of directors came to TV under the flag of I get to do what I want now or I get to tell the stories that movie studios are no longer buying now. And some have been really successful at that and some have kind of gone off the rails with it. Fincher really legitimately has made two really top-notch TV shows. I mean, the, those early seasons of House of Cards and these two seasons of Mindhunter, not only are they beautiful to look at and feel, feature great performances, but have just really excellent TV plotting and TV pacing. And, you know, even if people found parts of House of Cards to be completely hammy and ridiculous, as, you know, you and I had a lot of fun at um, at the Frank Underwood turn to the camera stuff and, and a number of other, including Robin Wright, Claire Underwood's world music loving photojournalist boyfriend. Mm. What was that guy's name? The, I, 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 Adam I something? Sure. It was, it just, was Adam. But it was pronounced yeah. in an Italian accent. And then that guy, had, he had like the great beaded bracelets. Um I just have always been fascinated with how Fincher has been, has this other card to play that is like, I'm actually just like a really good TV producer, you know? Well, it's interesting because, you know, and our our pal Sean Fennessy would probably have a lot to say about this too. I'd be interested in his perspective. Unlike a lot of other contemporary auteurs, I mean, Fincher did this as a job for a long time. You know, he's... He's still relatively young, but he was a wonderkin making commercials and music videos, right? And so I think that there's a part of him, I think, that still understands the vessel thing, right? Like you don't make one when you want to make the other. You have different boxes for your various ambitions. I think the flip side of that is, you know, his reputation seems quite earned that he is one of the more demanding filmmakers alive. And... Does you know the 90-hour work week scan for you? That, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. No, you don't have to do that. You sure. don't. On right. a Fincher production, you do. And I think that we could say we could say two, two statements and both could be true. One is that his collaborator, he, cho- he chooses collaborators really wisely. You know, and even when he wasn't directing those pre- the, you know, House of Cards or, or Mindhunter, people like Andrew Dominic or Carl Franklin would step in and they're just exceptional filmmakers in their own right. And, and, and that's a sign of a good television producer, the ability to delegate, but also I think that he, Fincher doesn't really let go, right? Which is sure. why these things stretch on and on and on and everything is worked over and worried over. And, and you know, from talking to Kim Dickens just personally during Briarpatch and then when she came on our show, right? Like she was in Gone Girl with Fincher. She loves working with him. I mean, there yeah. are actors and filmmakers and designers who adore him and will follow him anywhere because they love that kind of commitment because it matches their own enthusiasm for something. I think that the more telling thing is exactly that about the 90 hours. Like, you don't have to do it, but he has to do it. Thus, he can't do it. It's multiple seasons of a TV show that are expected to come out once every 15 months. He, he I can't look, work I, on that schedule. I'm incredibly bummed out. I think that Mindhunter had the potential to only grow and grow in terms of the way people 
I mean, it's for both in terms of word of mouth of becoming more popular, but also like I think it's a little bit critically underappreciated as far as I'm concerned. I think so that, too. That being said, I don't feel like I was left hanging, you know, and I really do feel like the way that they constructed the show was so that there were no are they going to land the plane questions in the same way that maybe even like something like Better Call Saul has. You know what I mean? There's not, uh, there weren't a lot of mm-hmm. questions that needed to be answered with Mindhunter. I think it was just an incredible deep dive into, I mean, I know this sounds pretentious, but into the American psyche in a lot of ways. And it was also just a thrilling crime procedural. I loved, I love watching that show. And, you know, the just the way, the, the way it sounds is so unlike any other show. The way that people deliver the dialogue. Um, like just, I, I'm going to miss hearing uh, Holden and Tench talk, you know, in this incredibly chilly clinical way mm-hmm. that also is carrying all the baggage from their relationship up to this point every time they're colliding on the screen. I wanted more of it. And I, and I know we keep circling this point, but it just feels really relevant, which is that I, I, I'm missing shows that give me that feeling. Obviously, Mindhunter is in no one's definition of a feel-good show. No. Um, but, but I don't I don't know necessarily you have to feel anything, which is nice. No, but, but, but what I did feel, that is especially nice these days, but what I did feel was excitement to watch another one, and I was always just completely engaged with it mm-hmm. in a way that, you know, I... I I'm sorry to keep using this as the as the punching bag for it because it's another show I really admire. But it, as I'm thinking about shows that are essentially TV shows in which the, there could be multiple seasons of them and there are multiple episodes at my disposal that my wife and I want to watch when we have our limited time on the couch to watch something. Are you going to say call my agent? No, that's the only <laughs> one we are watching. <laughs> Season two finale at Cannes. Juliette Binoche, come on. Um, no, I was going to say The Great which I keep using as a punching bag, even yeah. though I really like and admire it, but I don't want to watch it. I wish I was felt otherwise. When it's on, I'm really enjoying it. And I think all the performers are great, but there's something about its claustrophobia or its historical bent. I'm not quite sure what it is. Maybe it's just theatrical, but Mindhunter was just such a ride. You know, it, 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 it ticks those sort of procedural boxes that we all have ingrained in us. Um, but did it with this high style that too often these days is is limited to experiments, right? Like the well, third I mean, day I, or whatever. Hopefully people will get a chance to, if they haven't already, get into it, especially because now it's just a two-season proposition. So, I mean, it's not like, hey, you have to catch up with four or five seasons of The Expanse or whatever. You know, you're not that far behind. It's 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 a couple of weeks watching. It's just interesting too, and, and then we can move on to our other point, for, our other news news item for the day, but this idea of who who owes anyone what it's it's just it's just kind of in flux right now and there, yeah. for a long time with broadcast television you know there were shows where there was this sense and I don't know how much this was based on actual numbers this was before the stats got involved in anything in our lives right we're like this show has a passionate fan base, even though it might not be the number it's one on rated the, show. It's on the bubble, yeah. And you have to deliver for those fans because they are otherwise like the disappointed fans of Cagney and Lacey. You will inundate the offices of CBS or whatever with letters and then they'll renew it. And that would happen right. every so often. Um, and now, I mean, obviously the numbers are very different and skewed. I, I think you're right when you say that Mindhunter wasn't setting any records in terms of viewership. Well, I and mean, that's but, Fincher saying it. I mean, I... I well, well, I think that's yeah. just true generally, judging by the you know the the chatter, um, such as it is. But Netflix is just pretty open about the fact that I don't they don't feel like they owe you more of anything. They're just going to give you more of everything, sure, and assume that that's going to be enough to keep you going. 
And that just feel, even though it's not necessarily different calculus than these other services have been using for a long time, it feels chillier and a little bit more surprising at this moment. Let's talk about Moon Knight. Let's talk about what people really want. There's just two, everybody out there is probably thinking what a Greenwald and Ryan think about this Moon Knight situation. So I feel like this is either a proof that Oscar Isaac does or does not listen to the watch definitively. Um, we still you know, don't know. Yeah. My, my two print theories are now that Oscar Isaac is definitively either a pro or con watch person. Right. And that Helen Mirren listens to the rewatchables. You think that you think that's the case? It's a long story, but yeah. Okay. Um, did she listen so, to my, my recent episodes? I think so. Only the Greenwald yeah. episodes. Yeah. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked a little bit about our sort of um, building disappointment that a bunch of the best actors of, of our lifetime or of our generation were increasingly turning over large swaths of their prime movie making careers to being in superhero movies. And that while we don't begrudge anybody you know, that third or fourth house that they're getting and, you know, putting their grand grandchildren's grandchildren into college and all that stuff, that it just does seem like sometimes you wonder what great performances, great movies, great works you got, you know, left on the table because somebody signed up for a seven movie or five seasons of Disney Plus deal to be a, to be in the Marvel Cinematic Universe or the DC or, or whatever, or Star Wars. And uh, we specifically mentioned Michael Fassbender, but we also mentioned Oscar Isaac, who had been in the X-Men film, Age of Apocalypse, but also, was it Age of Apocalypse? And, uh, I mean, I know he played Apocalypse. And then he was also, obviously, Poe Dameron in the Star Wars trilogy. And I kind of was like, okay, maybe, I'll, you know, I saw that there, he was going to do a remake of Ingmar Bergman's Scenes from a Marriage. You know, they, they recently, is. yeah, and then they've recently brought um, Jessica Chastain as replaced Michelle Williams on that. That's FX, right? Uh, nobody replaces Michelle Williams. I, I think it's not. HBO. HBO. Sorry, you're right. Also, uh, I, I realized that the question you were asking, Age of Apocalypse is a beloved X-Men crossover event from the 90s, but the film was X-Men colon Apocalypse. Apocalypse. Colon Apocalypse. Colon Apocalypse. So now we got news that uh, Isaac... Now, I will preface this by saying we did... You know, we jumped early on Tatiana Maslany getting cast as She-Hulk, and then she gave an interview to some Australian newspaper. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, I'm not... That's I've not been offered that role. I don't know how that happened. Uh, perhaps that's that's not the case. Perhaps it was just like the the contracts not signed yet. Oscar Isaac has been quote unquote tapped according to Deadline tapped to, to play Moon Knight, uh, number one draft pick in the Chris Ryan doesn't know who this person is char- comic you. book characters. That's why my guy is here. Um, Moon Knight is the answer to a question not many people asked, which was, what if Marvel did Batman? Okay. Um, basically, it is Marvel's attempt to have a similar character created, I think, in the 70s, um, where a rich person moonlights, if you will, as a caped Avenger of justice. Um, the a nonsense... A dis- lot of disguises for this guy, right? Well, Mary? that's more recent. The, the, the original part of it that was just typical... You say director bullshit, but like there's no bullshit, like 70s comic book bullshit. Oh, I yeah. love it. Is that he was also the inheritor of the spirit or the chosen avatar of the Egyptian deity Khonshu. So there was some like some wild ass mystical stuff involved. Same energy. What's and and then Moon Knight would just like be in the West Coast Avengers, just okay. And he was kind of, kind of became a punchline because he didn't have any reason to exist other than the fact that he had kind of a cool if completely uh, non-utilitarian costume. Like, you're not really striking fear into the hearts of people wearing all white at night 
in like I totally Puffy's, forgot Puffy's that party. there was a West Coast Avengers. Yeah, I loved West Coast. Those Avengers. guys just spent all their time on the four hundred five, right? <laughs> they were just in traffic trying to get to the from crime scene to crime scene. Um, so, in the last few years, the characters got a little more interesting because they leaned into something that I think had kind of been a part of it. Because originally, this guy Mark Spector sort of speaks to this god in his head, and then I think writers like Warren Ellis steered him more in the direction of of being someone who does suffer from disassociated personality disorder and has multiple voices in his head or even multiple personas. And some of those led to even cooler costumes, quite frankly, like a dude in a mask wearing a a white mask and a white suit. Um, Just pretty interesting storytelling for some fringier uh, creators. Mm -hmm. And that alone, to me, makes it appealing, right? Like, you don't have to make TV shows out of these characters just because you have the rights to them. Just like you don't have to make ongoing comic book series about them. Uh, Marvel, the comic book company, partly because of their, you know, the, their their financial considerations, they don't just greenlight everything. Like generally, characters are on the shelf until established writers say, "I want to spend some of my uh, cred and goodwill on that." I have a take on that. I have a version for that, and that's like how you that's how you end up with Matt Fraction's Hawkeye, Tom King's Vision, a lot of these characters that runs that we champion when we talk about comic books on the podcast. So, high ceiling, because it could be a super weird, um, you know, multiple personality vigilante show, not something we've necessarily had before, and definitely something that veers more towards the adult entertainment range of the spectrum. I'm also, please note, withholding my deep reservations that Oscar Isaac has been cast as one of Marvel's few openly Jewish characters, because he is actually in the racial or uh, religious draft, we get Oscar Isaac because of Lewin Davis. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> but we have him already, so I'm I'm gonna allow it. Right, it's fine with me. Okay. The thing that, I, okay, what what is the filter we can always throw in these conversations when we're talking about purely speculative things? Where I start to whenever we start to use the words like "what's concerning," when. <laughs> Let's yeah, be clear, like, nothing here is concerning. Yeah. We know absolutely nothing uh, about anything. Yeah, I mean, we're just concern trolling. We're not losing any sleep over the usage of, of uh, Moon Knight in the MCU. No, not at all. But, um, so we're not really bothered by this. This is could be good or could be bad. It's Oscar Isaac just getting a star turn. Worth noting, Apocalypse was not the star of X-Men Apocalypse. Um <laughs> Despite the name, <laughs> despite the presence of a colon right there. Yeah. Uh, Poe Dameron was barely in the Star Wars movies. Mm-hmm. And as we love to say, Oscar Isaac was the best thing in the Bourne legacy, but they didn't let our man Tony Gilroy make him the star. How dare Bourne you legacy. say that about Ed Norton? That, well, that's true. So of the three leading actors, the wrong one was top billed in that film. So all that I also to really say, like the lady in Bourne legacy who tries to get Rachel Weisz to kill herself. Oh, so Elizabeth Marvel. It's so yeah. good. Not part of the Marvel. The real Captain Marvel. Yet, yeah. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> What's your so, concern? You just, so you just, my concern? Just drop it in the suggestion box. Come on. <laughs> Let me just wind up. I, I just wanted to say that Jeremy Slater is the person who's been named as the writer and potential showrunner of this. And his, I don't know the guy. He, he could be incredibly talented and phenomenal. And I hope that he is. Um, on his record is the Josh Trank Fantastic Four film. Uh, and he's also you know worked what? on... Mistakes were made. Okay, okay. Look, look I think, I think a, a lot of people caught a lot of shrapnel from that 
from that Fantastic Four. That's true. The writer should not go down with that shit. Yeah, that guy's like, there's like eight words of my screenplay up on screen. You got to give me a break. That's here. fair. And uh, and he more recently worked on the Umbrella Academy, which another comic book adaptation that I think yeah. is pretty good. I personally want, if you're going to do Moon Knight with Oscar Isaac, I want it to be fucking weird. You know what I mean? I, I just feel like there's potential in these fringe characters to do fringier things. Did Moon Knight and teach you how to be weird? <laughs> Moon Knight taught me that it was okay as a Jewish billionaire to wear white on the streets of Manhattan after midnight. I, this, that's, that's, that, it just folds into the larger conversation about what Disney is going to do with these characters on the plus. You know, you and I would love to see more chances taken creatively for different types of stories. And that seems to be what they're saying they're going to do with like a WandaVision while also keeping the, 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 the sp- backbone or spine of the types of stories they tell true with stuff like Falcon and Winter Soldier, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as you discussed last week, which is finally <laughs> going to bring justice. It's going to get back the, to the, the essence s- of Falcon and Winter Soldier. Of the C-list characters. So that, you know, okay, sure. Here are my th- here's my thing. All for Moon Knight sounds cool. Sounds like it could be really fun. I think because of the pandemic and because of the lack of clarity over mo- theatrical release dates, you know, obviously Black Widow's been moved. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Eternals was, I, it was moved, I assume. Moved, yeah. Everything was moved out of this year. So I think that there's clearly like uh, been some delays to their their grand plan. And Marvel is is known for being like, here we go, you know, like untitled Marvel movie 2024. Mm-hmm. You guys can go ahead and speculate. I am curious what the um, what's the what's the interstate here? You know, I feel like we're getting a lot of exits, we're getting a lot of cool scenic routes, and there are a lot of Disney Plus shows. But I'm waiting for the X Men Fantastic Four bag to drop because I, I feel like it's imminent. You know, and, and maybe they're just taking their time, or maybe there's no doubt that this stuff is further along in their planning. They were going to announce more things this year. Yeah, it, maybe it's a blessing they don't have to, but they are ready to. Pull I'm, the trigger I'm super on a lot into of this a lot of the titles that they've been kicking around, and especially into a lot of the, the uh, performers that they've been casting in these things. And and I think it'll be really cool if WandaVision lives up to the hype of it being this almost psychedelic trip. But I I am curious as to whether or not we're going to go into a 24 month holding pattern of pretty cool movies and TV shows with some like hints and and stuff, and then. At some point in 2021, late in the mm-hmm. year in a movie, Wolverine shows up. Well, the, he, here, in the, here's my best case in scenario the end credit scene. for the company line that you're talking about, but also for just for actors, mm-hmm. which is this may end up being this pause. I mean, let, let me do the, I don't, can't believe I have to say this, but nothing about what's happened this year is good for anyone. Right. Okay. Right. Creatively, though, for Kevin Feige and his team, the best thing about this may have been the the forced pause because to go from the most successful, complicated achievement in multi-part film storytelling ever and mm-hmm. the highest grossing film ever immediately into the expectations game of, well, now you've, now you've reached this plateau. What's the next plateau? Where are you going to build us to next? And it has to be bigger than the place we just were. There's this year to two year period of some stuff with this year, very little stuff, but soon some stuff that people might enjoy, they might check it, check out, they might not. But it sort of takes the, some of the pressure off, I think, to immediately say, here are the Eternals, the heir to the Avengers in your next 12 movie, whatever. And from an actor's perspective, 
I think we probably could have been very well been talking about Oscar Isaac as Moon Knight, regardless of what had sure. happened this year. Sure. Um, but you have to think that for working actors, even successful working actors like Oscar Isaac, the completely devastating uncertainty of a year just with everything shut down, the option of being like, I can take a steady paycheck, I can give four months out of the next three years I think to Disney and Marvel and Atlanta. Because they know how to make stuff too. My eyebrow only raised because he was like, they asked him at the end of Star Wars, would you do this again? And he was like, I don't, I don't think so. Unless I needed to buy a new house or something along those lines. Like he was being... Well, first of all, he clearly needs a new house. <laughs> um, but also he wasn't the star of those movies. And There's like, like a lovely two bedroom, one bath in Sherman Oaks that I saw in Redfin for, for him. I, but, I, but I really feel, and it, maybe, you know, if we ever get him or, or another comparable actor on the podcast, I'd love to ask questions like this, which is to say, like, how do you value your time and the mm-hmm. trade-offs? Because the, the, the amount of screen time he had in the Star Wars movie was one thing. But the places he had to go and be on call to be, whether it was, you know, England or Tunisia or wherever. Sure. And then sure. every time one of those movies come out, you have to do a global press tour um, where, when he could be putting on a white suit and talking to an Egyptian god named Khonshu, you know, like that, that, that's, that's, that's a more valuable, that's, that's a value add. Okay. We're going to talk, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about Borat and Undoing. Uh, we can take a quick break and we'll be back after this. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. One thing you don't have to worry about cleaning up this spring season, your wireless bill. Just switch to Mint Mobile. It's easy. And right now, they have unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. For first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. This episode is brought to you by Walmart Plus. With a Walmart Plus membership, you save on everything you need to stay entertained. A Paramount Plus subscription is included to watch all your favorite shows. Plus, there's free delivery and even gas discounts. So when you're done streaming, you can hit the town and find entertainment in the real world, too. Save on all this plus much more with Walmart Plus. Start a free 30-day trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus essential plan only. Separate registration required. $35 order minimum. See walmart.com slash plus for details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you 
and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. We're back. Andy, before we get into Borat, are, are you, have you officially changed gears? Are you into autumnal cooking now? Did we move into the harvest? How would you describe the color uh, sweatshirt I'm wearing? Well, it looks like, listening. I can't tell. I have a tint on my, uh, like the blue light tint on my computer. So oh. it, it looks it looks like a light brick. I'm dressed like the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm paging through the, the, the soup Rolodex. It's, Guys, I mean, I, you know, thoughts and prayers are spread pretty thin right now, but save a little bit for us in Los Angeles. It's like 68 degrees today. I know. I woke up and I was like, it's chilly. You know, Kaya, <laughs> Kaya, Kaya's bundled up. She's probably got like two sweaters on. It's um, chilly. Up with that sea breeze coming. Uh, let's talk about Borat. I, I feel like I'm taking a backseat in today's pod, but there are two guys on this podcast and one feels a lot more strongly about Borat than I do. I can tell. Well, no, I was, let's start from that. Like I, I was surprised Chris, uh-huh. that you were not that interested. No, you it's not even that I'm planning not interested. on watching it this weekend. I, I, well, I, I guess. Um, not even with the companionship of, dare I say, <laughs> your spouse. What? What do you think? My I was spouse. Say? <laughs> um, I, I don't know what to say about this. I thought it was really funny. I don't. One thing that I don't understand. I, I think the only thing is like sometimes with comedies. I've never really found comedies to be like, for me personally, mm-hmm. my way of interfacing with society. So I, I love a good satire, you know, and I, I love a good politically charged comedy, but it doesn't change the way I feel about the world or open my eyes no. to some things that I didn't know before. Um, hey, wait, is this you talking or Chris Ryan, the former paramilitary thriller writer? <laughs> yes, this is this is No Man Left Behind, Chris Ryan. Mm-hmm. Um I, I feel like I'm already on the defensive. This Borat movie was really fucking funny. I, I know it, it's exactly, I felt like as I was watching it, I had already seen it. And that's probably a consequence of seeing like a week of Borat takes before the movie came out. But uh, I, I laughed out loud many times. Yeah. I mean, that I don't want to. Is it weird that I this? actually, I, here's, here's something weird about yeah. me. Here's something weird about me. Great. Don't know how to cook chicken. Uh, I, I, I just, you know, I, I never, I, I still haven't figured it out. And I love the Kazakhstan sequences in Borat. Me too. Like, yes. I almost think I like those more than the U.S. ones. Me too. Okay, Here, here's what I wanted to say. I didn't want to center this conversation of the movie in any way as like a, a political referendum. Um, if anything, I think this movie had less to say about America in many ways than the previous movie did, which is something maybe worth talking about. What surprised me so much about it was how much I enjoyed the parts where it was being a movie, where it was a fictional character in a fictional world telling a story, and not just any story, but one that totally shocked me by having <laughs> an emotional arc. I just, start, I just started actually, thinking about the monkey in this movie. Yes. So, I, <laughs> see? Our country's greatest porn star. It's so funny. I mean, that's the thing. It's, we've never talked about the first movie because obviously we didn't have a podcast then. Um, but also, I haven't rewatched it. I didn't rewatch it. <laughs> Me neither. This. I definitely and, wasn't and I, like, when's Borat coming back? Well, also, like, that, let, let, let's, uh, let me remember where we left things. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. I, 
the the first Borat movie, and especially the first Borat segments on the Ali G show and stuff, like that is some of the purest laughter that has ever been wrung from me. Like it is so funny. Yeah. And I have no need to Ali G, the like peak Ali G, and especially Borat on Ali G is up there with like Eastbound with me in terms of like I'm just yeah. in tears. In tears. Yeah, and the movie was such a just so such a great and pure comedy experience in the theater, and I felt absolutely I loved everything about it, and I felt no need to revisit it. And that was what I found really striking about this. I mean, obviously, Sasha Baron Cohen has a lot. Uh, on his mind. He has a lot. He's very busy. He does a lot of projects. He doesn't need to do this. You know what I mean? And in fact, one of the jokes within the jokes, or at least stumbling blocks within the story that they set out, is that he can't really be Borat anymore with very, very limited um, mm-hmm. exceptions because that movie made hundreds of millions of dollars. And as he points out, as he discovers, like just engendered, like it's it's just a cliche now, right? I mean, and Halloween costumes and stuff. So he didn't need to to do it. And it's so odd to say this because you would think that this would be the death of comedy, particularly comedy that is based on, I mean, because when Borat works, it is so like electrically primally funny. It, you don't think about it. It's just, it's just so pure. You would think that making it intentioned the way this movie does, this movie ends with him say, you know, saying, go vote. You know what I mean? It's not pretending in the, the way the first movie was to be like, look at all these buffoons. Oh, well, shrug emoji, right? Right. It actually has something to say, weirdly, about the role of women in the world or about the world as it is and and um, conspiracy theories and disinformation. And what I found really surprising and ultimately really rewarding was that steering this completely unsentimental property towards a place of sentimentality where, yeah, things matter, worked and made it succeed so much more than I think it would have otherwise. It, it, it wasn't just that we're just here for the lulls, man. Like, it's not just the nihilism of any joke is a good no, joke. No, he obviously felt like he, he had something he wanted to say and something out beyond just look at the ghouls that are in charge of this country, of the United States now. Like, there was something beyond that. And then the daughter plot line is, you know, clearly like... Maria something- Bakalova, I mean, that is... I, I, I just was in awe. I don't know how he found someone... First of all, she's, she's incredible. She's so funny and she's so good, but also the cringy part, I mean, it's just the commitment to the bit, right? Like mm-hmm. the whole thing that made him who he is, Sasha Baron Cohen, is that he would just never break, right? He never breaks character no matter what the circumstance is. And that is not a common trait in any kind of performer. And then he found someone who was also willing to do it and go that hard at it. Um, what was your favorite you, segment? So I, yeah, I think I wanted to just kind of circle back to what you said. Like, pranking Giuliani, but like Giuliani is a disgrace. You know, it's not a surprise to me that he behaves that way. What I loved was just, just the comedy movie parts, honestly. Like my, my, the part that I can't stop thinking about, and it's a very small part, Chris, but I mean, the running gag about faxing yeah. is, is excellent, excellent gag. But when he gestures for a tutor to come into the shop for the first time, because she might serve as the bribe <laughs> and she enters and she says, Daddy, why is the sky so low? <laughs> and he tells her because it's a room. <laughs> I think about that a lot. Seconded only by the scene, the makeover scene, when uh, they're they're looking at lipstick, and Tutar says, "Look, a monkey's cock," and then she takes a bite. 
And then he takes one too, but he says it's not very nice. See, so like that's, that isn't. It's, it's, the, it's those little father-daughter moments that really spoke to you. That matter, and I relate yeah. to, but, but, but it built to something, you know, and like him running in a Trump mask and costume, you know, running up to Pence, like, okay, it, the, the, the thing, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I appreciate that he didn't try to make a point necessarily about the venality of the people in America because they're beyond satire. You know what I mean? Like we've had a bunch of years to try to like win with laughter or whatever, and it's just not funny. Right. So Pence being like, being captured at a moment where he was like, we have five cases and we're going to be great. Like, good. I'm glad that's on camera in a movie that a lot of people, a lot of people are going to see. I, yeah. I just think that we've had a sort of death of shame over the last yeah. couple of years. So I don't really know if that it has the impact that you would hope it would. Uh, I just wanted some special shout out to the, uh, the FaceTime sequence. I, I was like, I was, I was honestly like choking <laughs> with laughter when he was, he was like this ghost. <laughs> it's a ghost in his in the calculator? Yeah, <laughs> the calculator. Um, and I, you knew that that was going in a weird direction when he was just like, yeah, you could just, you could just type in here, like, you know, <laughs> spit chicken. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I'm glad he didn't search for your recipe, Chris. For your famous I, I will say, recipe. one of the funniest, craziest things about this whole thing has been, I went from three weeks ago, like not thinking about Borat to a, mm-hmm. like a solid week of, Borat takes, Borat countertakes, Borat, 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 and then the movie being up on Amazon. It's almost, I think, the ideal execution of a quote-unquote surprise drop that mm-hmm. I, I think I've ever seen. And even though I, you know, the Giuliani segment was sort of used as promo and was written about extensively as an actual news story, um, you know, I, I just thought, I, I thought in in a world where very few things can just take over. It was interesting to see this versus say something like Saturday Night Live. And it's like, you know, Adele is hosting Saturday Night Live. That's like a good deal. But it's like every everybody I knew was just like, have you seen Borat? Have you seen Borat? It's it's pretty wild. I mean, that they did this. You know, shouts to Jason Walliner who who got to start directing Human Giant, a show that we liked a lot. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, to make something like this happen is in the time frame they had, right? Because they started shooting in February, and now it's out and it had to come out now. Uh, before the election, I think. Multiple locations, total secrecy, uh, and then during a pandemic. I mean, it's just incredible guerrilla-style filmmaking, I guess. But, um, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know about a world where we need, I mean, I know we don't ever need takes, but like takes or counter-takes on it. You know, it's just, I'm pretty glad, <laughs> I'm pretty glad it exists. Um, and uh, I think it's interesting, though, this is the last thing I'll say about it, that the, of the like shock, shocking got you moments. I mean, the, everyone's willingness to like put a living woman in a cage, I think was pretty compelling and damning, um, cumulatively because it led to a story about her, her awakening. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was really noteworthy that like when they go to the debutante ball, I'm like, I, I don't care about these people and I don't care about them being shocked or shamed or whatever. Right. You know, um, they were mostly just teenagers. That's why I thought maybe the most powerful moment and the reason why I hope that scene made it was that moment when he asks a guy how much you'd pay for my daughter and the guy says $500. And then his daughter or whoever else is next to him is like, you're fucking disgusting. <laughs> like, right. that was a, that kind of broke 
what he usually does in his shows. You sure. know, other people don't get to make the joke or to yeah. make the comment. Or like they and, jump in, they jump in with the tweet about the scene. Let's wrap up with the undoing because I really wanted a show like this. I really, really did. Now, okay. um, I don't think that you necessarily share my enthusiasm for the show, but I can't tell. We have not discussed this beforehand. Uh, this is a new show on HBO from David Kelly and Susanna Beyer, I believe. Um, I think it's Beer. Beer. Susanna Beer. Um, a, a veteran TV and film director. Uh, and they collaborated with Nicole Kidman on this. I, honestly, it's like, it just feels like yuppie might, night of. And it's it's just a, a murder mystery set on the Upper West Side among a Dalton-esque private school. The first episode aired last night. I personally really recommend people check it out. Uh, we've been talking a lot recently about safe hands, making shows like with the idea of making like really compelling TV. I think there is a version of this show that is really ponderous and really silly. I thought this show was just the right amount of some tongue-in-cheek moments satirizing the, the the sort of upper crust of the Upper West Side, along with just like pretty compelling and obviously just spent a buck on those locations. And Dude, when they do the drone shot outside of the penthouse party, yeah. I got actively angry because I know how much that cost. Well, here's and the they thing. did it for no reason. This show, this show is hitting at a moment when I have serious New York nostalgia. So yeah. I think just the amount of Manhattan in this movie and also this this basically was your life from like 2002 absolutely. to Absolutely. I mean as as one of the leading oncologists I think that you know most people can know I, this Can I tell people how much I you once paid for a glass of tap water? <laughs> so I think that we could have a, like a different kind of conversation about this one. I'm curious what was your what was your take on it? Well, it's not necessarily one thing or the other because moments of deep revulsion were uh, matched by appreciation for, as you put it, you know, the craft. Um, I think that th- this episode, I, I've only seen the one. If you, you, have you seen past it? No. The first no, one? I, I usually like to watch the mysteries once, once, once a week. So the way this episode ends, which seems like a counterintuitive place to begin, is so good. Mm-hmm. It's just... It's just so well done. And it ends, you know, I don't think this is necessarily a spoiler, but with a moment that I think is relatable, certainly not on this level of stakes, but relatable to a lot of people when you, you think you're going to get in touch with someone or someone you, you think is in a place where you expect them to be and then they are not. Mm-hmm. And 9.9 times out of 10, it's just a, you know, it's not worst case scenario. But if you are wired like me or like Mark Moon, Spector, right. Moon Knight, it is... <laughs> you go quickly to the catastrophic place, you know? And so to end on that moment of just jittery panic was a really, really smart choice and just showed how David Kelly, like, just he just knows how to get you watching TV. You know, it would be very hard to watch the very end of this episode and not watch another, which is high Yeah, price. it taps into some of those same sort of modern life anxieties that I think the first episode of Third Day did, where whether it's the veneer of in, in undoing, I think it's that they set the tone for the Nicole Kidman, Hugh Grant relationship just right where he seems pretty perfect, but also, you know, has a lot of neuroses and is obviously a guy who has a lot of anxiety. Um, but they, they have like a good relationship. They seem to have a well-adjusted son. And as they go through this episode 
and then a murder occurs in their son's uh, the parent of one of her son's classmates and a woman that Nicole Kidman has met through a, a charity auction is murdered. You know, I think that initially, like, it, it didn't take very long for uh, my wife and I to look at each other and be like, I don't know if Hugh Grant's going to turn out to be as charming as we think he is. But obviously, like, fool me once, I know that there will be, like, many broad church-esque I, twists and turns to this. I hope so, because I have to be honest with you before I, because I have some larger questions to ask you about how to approach a show like this. Cause I have definitely gone the other way for the last few Where of you these don't, types of shows. You don't want the mystery with like dead bloodied bodies lying around. Or? No. Oh, th- that's fine. Listen, it's 2020. It's fine. Um, basically just to say, I know why after big little lies, which was written and produced by David Kelly and starred Nicole Kidman was produced by her as well why HBO has found a lucrative vein that they want to continue tapping. Yeah, they brought the, Nicole brought the tresses back for this one. But also, you know, showing the the dark underbelly of the richest uh, enclaves of America. I have to say, like, there is part of me, I just, I don't care about this world. I find this world of obscene money and despicable self-congratulation and, and, and all for private school, you know, all of that, man, especially centered in Manhattan, mm-hmm. so loathsome. I, and yet we just continue to make shows about this, you know? And then once again, the drama comes when a lone person of color crashes this lily white perfect world and, oh, what's underneath the surface of that? So... I guess I want to ask you, like, not for, like, sweeping political reasons, but, like, mm-hmm. that is hard for me to overcome. It's not just that I'm not interested in that world. I'm like, I can't believe we're doing this. Well, so, I think there are two different questions. Like, there's one that's about, do you want to watch shows about people that you find repellent? And we've had this conversation about Succession. We've had this conversation mm-hmm. about lots of different shows. Uh it, it does. I don't take it that seriously. Like, I mean, like if the show itself, if the mystery is compelling, I also think that the Nicole Kidman character, at least as of right now, mm. is being thoroughly enough like teased out that she seems to have a lot of depth. And I wouldn't be surprised if, given the level of performer they have around her, like Lily Rabe is a pretty good actress. Like, I'm pretty sure that they'll they'll try to like figure yeah. something out with S- Sylvie. Uh, but I, it's there's I I don't really have like an allergic reaction if it's about. Um, if it's a show about rich people tearing themselves apart. Uh, the, the I mean, if, it, making, if, if it's Shit's Creek, I don't mind it. Right. The point you're making about uh, the woman of color being the victim and being the thing that upends this lily white thing. I mean, I, that's fair enough. I On one episode, I'm not going to judge it. I think that the character sure. of Elena will probably come to us in a lot of flashbacks and we'll learn a lot more about her. I mean, even as it is, I thought there were some confusing parts of you know, she she obviously goes to the same gym as Nicole Kidman, but her child's on scholarship. Like, I was trying to figure out exactly, like, who she was and what was it mm-hmm. maybe that was just unclear versus something that was actually mishandled by the show. But with mysteries, I try to, like... Chris, the I think you're wrong there. The, the Equinox gym on 72nd Street is truly the crossroads of the world, you know? People from all walks of life come there. <laughs> Trade um, banter. Yeah, I guess I just... Um, I guess I was just really looking for a good mystery. And here's, I, here's why I'm not all the way out on it. Because I, I, I don't want to say that I won't watch it just like for political reasons. It's just sometimes there's a part of me that's like, we're just shoveling more money after the same thing and treading and circling the same pool. That's fair enough. When I think there's a interesting story to be told. And I'm not saying every story has to be what I want it to be. 
I wish there were more, like the, the story of, in a different, less heated version, like Elena's family trying to come into this school from their perspective is interesting and one that we see less of than we see, oh, that sort of, you know, the, it's like that podcast that people, like the, the cool, rich, cool white parents or rich white parents or whatever, like that whole, mm-hmm. it's basically like examining the nimbyism, the not in my backyardism of otherwise, or at least purportedly well-intentioned liberals once it actually becomes their own issue, right? Yeah. So that's a whole separate thing. The thing that this show has in its favor that I need to say unequivocally is Hugh Grant. <laughs> I I know we Dude. read his quote about Dude. watching this, about making this movie. I was, show, I was like, in after in that. I'm going to watch the show after that he, anyway. I'm already in because I just love him so much as a performer. He brings so much humor, wit, charm, uncertainty to his screen time, which is not enormous that I, that I was in and I, and I really appreciated, you know, to a degree that I think some of these other shows haven't really done having someone at the center of it who has a arched eyebrow about all of it. And I mean that in on both in terms of as character and a little bit Hugh Grant too, being like, is this what we're doing in America now? Okay. And that helped a lot. He's just, he's just such a good and unpredictable actor, even though this show now seems to be, as you said, tipping in a more predictable direction as to his... Well, I mean, I, I, I've learned from watching enough of these types of shows that usually the first the first twist that they sh- throw you is not the last mm. twist. So I would imagine right, fair. we're going to find out a lot more about, obviously, the victim, but also Donald Sutherland. It seems like you wouldn't hire Donald Sutherland to show up in three background party scenes, although maybe you would. Um, HBO yeah, would. They could for me, him. it was really more like... I felt like at, for a 55-minute drama, it moved really briskly. I enjoyed the setting and I, you know, to me, these, these are like light work, like these kinds of mysteries are light work, but I do take your point about it being some uncomfortable kind of tropes being already tossed out. Can I just add one other thing, which is to say, I'm very curious which school of psychotherapy Nicole Kidman's character subscribes to, because I didn't recognize any of her, her techniques. I've yet to meet a therapist who studies at the altar of Bobby Knight, the disgraced Hoosier uh, basketball coach. Sure. Because that's what she, that's the energy she's bringing in Maybe she sessions. should study at the altar of the Moon Knight. Maybe that would I, be a better therapy uh, model. Honestly, I think that Mark Spector is in a healthier place because generally, in my experience, which I don't want to say is ample, but you know, I think, I think I'm, I'm, I'm pretty upfront about this. Generally, the role of a therapist is to kind of let you find your own way to something that's true and then sit with it. She's just like, you're weak. That you know opening I mean? scene where that lady is like, I think my husband is bipolar and she's like, maybe you're the problem. Yeah, maybe you should look in the mirror. It's your fault. That was wild. Yeah. That was wild. Um, last thing, I do think we have to salute the God David E. Kelly, because some people are just blessed in life to have a career doing what they're made to do. And you'd think that other industries might toss people away when they're no longer useful or hot or whatever, right? And he had a couple years in the wilderness, like post Ally McBeal. But if you look at his IMDb page, he's never stopped. Mm-hmm. He just writes and produces television. 
Bochco style, incredible man. Incredible yeah. clip. I mean, Bochco yeah. was his mentor, right? And there yeah. was a time for people who don't know, like David E. Kelly was the hottest young talent, right? It, it, he he could just he seemed to like surf the zeitgeist and also could personally write like 20 episodes a year. And, you know, he's he made Goliath for Amazon and he was involved in Mr. Mercedes. Um, that was on uh was it Epics or Start, one of those. And but he just seems to have hit pay dirt with this new relationship with Reese and, and Nicole Kidman because he's just, he could just do this now, right? Forever. Well, let's be clear. He hit Pater with his 86 to 93 run of LA Law oh, yeah. and Doogie Hauser. So th- this guy never had to work another day in his life. And then he did Chicago then, Hope, The Practice, yeah. Ally McBeal, Boston Public. There's lots of other stuff here. And then he, and, and then he married Michelle Pfeiffer in there. Too. Married so, Michelle Pfeiffer. You know, I always wanted to get this NBC, this Wonder Woman adaptation off the ground. That was like a big project for him. He has was he was sort of the first big Amazon, one of the first big Amazon TV signings, if I if I remember correctly, with Goliath, right? Like, yeah, it was Billy one Bob, of the fir- yeah. with Billy Bob Thornton, and then since then he has done Goliath at Amazon, Big Little Lies at HBO, Mister Mercedes, like you said, at Audience, uh, an adaptation of the the Lincoln Lawyer that didn't get going. The Undoing. He's got what appears to be Succession meets Yellowstone, but I, you know, the jury is out. That's the tag, I think. Oh, Big uh, this, Sky. This show, The Big Sky, on uh, Brian Garrity on ABC, and then he has got a Disney Plus show and a, a Hulu show, Nine Perfect Strangers. So he's busy, you know. But it's, this, it's 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 amazing, and I think I just think it's worth noting, right? Because again, just folding into the conversation we've been having. This guy knows how to make TV. Mm-hmm. And in a smart industry, he would never be without work for that reason alone. And it's, it seems like the industry is getting smarter about that. This one's only um, six episodes, so I feel like I'm going to stick with it. I can let you know. if No, if it, I'm, I'm Chris, I'm going to watch the next episode. Okay. You can't have that ending and not watch another one. But I, I want to know what my guy Hugh is doing with his Hyatt reward points. Maybe he's the Moon Knight. The Moon Knight, Chris, was the friends we made along the way. Uh, Andy, so good to see you. Talk to you on Thursday. I, you put a question mark in it. What if I said no? <laughs> what would what would happen? I don't know. I, I don't know. know. What Co-host Sean Fennessy. Forget that. <laughs> I'll see you Thursday. Can't wait. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.